I'm Elizabeth Rushing, and this is the ICRC Humanitarian Law and Policy Blog, Audio Edition. Deploying OSINT in armed conflict settings, law, ethics, and the need for a new theory of harm. The deployment of open source intelligence, or OSINT, information gathered from publicly available data sources and used for intelligence purposes, is having a dramatic impact on armed conflict in the 21st century, rebalancing information asymmetries between states and other actors while supporting accountability efforts. There is, however, a downside to these developments, with OSINT creating and enabling the risk of harm to civilians' rights, lives, and safety in ways that are not yet fully understood. In this post, part of a new series on cybersecurity and data protection in humanitarian action, legal researcher and OSINT analyst Ed Millett considers how far international humanitarian law and international human rights law currently regulate the use of OSINT techniques by state and non-state actors in armed conflict settings, suggesting that our limited understanding of emergent harms is hampering effective regulation. Open source information and its subcategory, open source intelligence, OSINT, information gathered from publicly available data sources and used for aiding policymaking and decision making in a military or political context, is becoming a major feature of armed conflict in the 21st century. Its use in Ukraine, for example, is well documented. Private sector satellite companies providing geospatial data to Ukrainian artillery units, civil society organizations using geolocated footage and social media posts to map civilian casualties, and international organizations using drones to monitor ceasefire compliance. The opportunities presented by such technology for a range of users are widely reported, particularly where OSINT operations run the full gamut of the information cycle, acquiring, exploiting, retaining, and reproducing data, and where they gather publicly available information from diverse sources, including social media and messaging platforms, geospatial data, mapping software, and database services such as global trade data. Open source information can, for example, help to foster accountability and support justice efforts by uncovering human rights abuses and atrocity crimes, or refine state military targeting to embed better IHL compliance. However, the misuse of OSINT in its acquisition, retention, and publication can also facilitate real-world harms, negatively impacting on individual human rights such as privacy, data protection, and fair trial rights. For example, in the Netherlands, an unregulated online manhunt for a suspected criminal fugitive took place on social media following the publishing, doxing, of their personal information, leading to accusations that such activity risks circumventing legal safeguards on police investigative procedures. In Ukraine, Drone footage from the Donbass region published online by the OSCE risked inadvertently alerting Russian authorities to the existence of an undocumented crossing in a ceasefire line, allegedly resulting in curtailment of civilian access to schools, workplaces, and health services. 
Finally, Nathaniel Raymond has illustrated how the location of demobilized child soldiers in an armed conflict setting could easily be learned by non-state armed groups through the piecing together of public reporting and statistics by a range of humanitarian agencies, known as the Mosaic Effect. In light of these threats, this post investigates the legal frameworks governing the incorporation of OSINT into operations and investigations carried out in armed conflict settings by states and civilian non-state actors, or NSAs. It considers applicable IHL before investigating how far international human rights law, IHRL, can fill gaps in the legal framework. Finally, it considers the patchwork of non-legal standards that largely regulate the use of OSINT by NSAs, highlighting how limited understanding of potential harms is hampering the development of both legal and non-legal restraints. IHL, providing some limited restraint? OSINT activities during armed conflict now form part of the wider ecosystem of state digital capabilities. Previously, such capabilities were often conceived narrowly in terms of cyber operations to disable, disrupt, or destroy computer systems, or to exploit such systems by exfiltrating information. Increasingly, OSINT activities aimed at accessing, analyzing, and publishing digital information should also be seen as a crucial part of state capabilities in this area, along with other digital measures. For example, the deployment of civilian hackers and internet shutdowns. The potential impact of such activities is significant. For example, where belligerents are able to leverage affected populations' personal data to target civilians with disinformation or violence. Nevertheless, informational privacy during armed conflict remains something of a lacuna in IHL frameworks. The emerging view in customary IHL is that the medical data of persons who are not or no longer participating in hostilities, such as civilians and combatants who are hors de combat, falls within scope of the obligation on conflict parties to respect and protect medical services and infrastructure. This obligation is now widely considered to protect the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of medical data, limiting the whole range of digital activities that can be leveraged against medical data, even where patients and infrastructure are unaffected. The legal framework protecting general, non-medical personal data is more conceptually problematic. One key area of ongoing dispute relates to the types of digital activities falling under the protection of IHL's general protections in Article 52 of Additional Protocol 1, and thereby rendering IHL targeting rules, the principles of distinction, proportionality, and precautions, applicable. The application of Article 52's protections is contingent upon the object satisfying the definition of civilian object and the activity in question satisfying the definition of attack set out in Article 49 of Additional Protocol 1, which requires acts of violence. There is ongoing academic debate as to whether content-level data such as non-medical data held on a computing system, can be considered a civilian object for these purposes. Most pertinently for OSINT activities, there is also significant uncertainty as to what activities against such data would fall to be considered attacks. 
Schmidt has suggested that operations aimed at affecting the integrity or availability of data held on a computing system would qualify as an attack, whereas operations that leave content-level data intact and only target confidentiality would not. However, it follows from this that the full OSINT operation cycle of data collection, processing, exploitation, and reproduction could be effectively conducted to gather, analyze, and republish personal information without affecting data integrity, thereby falling outside IHL's protection entirely. This would represent a lacuna in the current interpretation of IHL with respect to attacks on civilian objects. What role for international human rights law? Given these gaps in the legal framework applicable to conflict actors making use of OSINT, legal norms emanating from IHRL can provide support, for example, with regards to privacy and data protection rights. Progressive interpretations of IHL already point in this direction. The ICRC's updated commentary on the Second Geneva Convention provides an example of IHRL's emerging role, noting that personal health data held by hospital ships, quote, must be afforded a reasonable level of security in accordance with international privacy and data protection standards, unquote. However, there remain several significant issues with using IHRL standards and jurisprudence to regulate the use of OSINT during armed conflict. First, the question of whether OSINT activities actually infringe upon privacy and data protection rights, thereby entailing IHRL protections, remains conceptually complex. IHRL jurisprudence endorses a concept of privacy in public, but suggests that publicly available information can be freely observed and collected without falling within the ambit of privacy rights provided this is not done systematically in order to create structured data, i.e., some types of OSINT activity simply do not fall within scope of the right to privacy. However, in an era when vast amounts of sensitive and valuable personal information can be gathered from open social media platforms, the distinctions between what is private and what are not are becoming murkier. Older principles of privacy in public now insufficiently capture the realities of the online environment. State practice, drawn from OSINT's deployment domestically for law enforcement purposes, suggests a reasonable expectation of privacy standard for online activity, but there remains a lack of clarity over what publicly available information falls within scope of that expectation. For example, information posted in a private group on a social media platform or the social graph of a person's online friend network could be considered protected by privacy rights, placing limits on state acquisition and exploitation. Second, there remains significant theoretical debate about using IHRL standards to supplement the IHL framework particularly where norm conflicts arise. With respect to data protection and privacy, direct conflicts could, for example, occur in relation to IHL's rules authorizing surveillance and censorship of POW correspondence, which would likely fall within the ambit of privacy rights. That said, for the most part, IHL is silent on issues of privacy and communications, partly due to the speed of technological advancement in this area, suggesting that in reality, norm conflicts may not be a significant barrier to relying on IHRL to gap-fill the IHL regime. 
Third, the extraterritorial application of IHRL continues to stoke debate. The European Court of Human Rights has expressed the view that IHRL obligations continue to apply to acts which produce effects extraterritorially, with the exception of kinetic uses of force in the active face of hostilities. This would suggest that IHRL obligations could continue to apply to non-kinetic OSIN operations where they produce effects, although this is likely to be contested by states and the linkage between OSIN and the effect would be hard to establish in practice. Fourth, privacy and data protection rights, including under instruments such as the EU's General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR, are invariably limitable and or derogable rights. Regional courts have at times imposed strict necessity tests on states' ability to limit and derogate from these obligations, while states have developed sophisticated judicial oversight measures for surveillance activity, permitting lawful interference with these rights where necessary and proportionate. Taken together, these issues may significantly limit the ability of IHRL to limit the impact of OSINT awesome activities during armed conflict on privacy, data protection, and other rights. Regulating non-state actors? When it comes to NSAs, legal restraints weaken considerably. A great variety of civilian NSAs, international humanitarian organizations, civil society groups, individual actors, already conduct open source investigations in armed conflict settings. Where their activity has no nexus to the conflict, IHL does not formally bind them, except insofar as individuals continue to be bound by criminalized rules of IHL, or where domestic laws implementing rules of IHL are applicable. The applicability of IHRL to NSA activities is piecemeal and contested. Formally, civil society organizations cannot be said to be bound by IHRL. International organizations, IOs, usually do not consider themselves bound by IHRL obligations, while privileges and immunities could mean that IOs do not apply legal obligations concerning data protection, such as GDPR. Accordingly, a patchwork of data protection regimes, self-regulatory standards, and non-binding protocols has emerged. Multiple IOs have data protection regimes, although they often do not address the question of the applicability of IHRL. For media organizations, the IMPRESS Standards Code for Journalists, for example, sketches out a reasonable expectation of privacy standard for online activity. The Berkeley Protocol, a leading soft law framework for open source investigations aimed at civil society users, calls on investigators to respect the right to privacy, but primarily on the limited basis that breaches may result in evidence being excluded from criminal proceedings. Ultimately, imposing onerous legal obligations on NSAs may not be the solution, given the risk of a chilling effect on the many positive uses of open-source investigatory techniques and activities. Nevertheless, the absence of applicable legal frameworks delegates regulation to non-binding ethical doctrines and voluntary commitments, resulting in a fragmented approach between users based on a limited understanding of potential harms. Accordingly, it is becoming clear that civilian NSAs are in need of stronger, more harmonized codes of practice for open-source investigatory activities that take into account the particularities of the online environment, in particular thorny conceptual issues concerning online privacy.
However, the fact that different users have vastly different purposes for information collection and are increasingly integrating open source information with other data sources pose challenges to codifying current practices. Conclusion This post has spotlighted some of the potential harms emanating from unprincipled, unregulated uses of open source investigatory techniques in armed conflict settings, considering applicable legal regimes for different users and their current limits. There are also other potential sources of harm from the use of OSINT in these settings, from problems with obtaining informed consent for digital interventions from conflict-affected communities to growing civilian involvement in digital activities during armed conflict. Broadly speaking, our understanding of how IHL and IHRL frameworks regulate this area needs to develop further. And at a more fundamental level, we are still lacking sufficient understanding of the harms that could emerge from the use of digital technologies like OSINT. Accordingly, developing a more holistic theory of digital harms and norms, one that is sensitive to the impact of technologies such as OSINT and the particular conceptual challenges of the digital environment, is a necessary precursor to establishing more robust legal and ethical principles and practices to protect digital rights in armed conflict settings. If you enjoyed this audio read, be sure to check out our full library of posts at the ICRC Humanitarian Law and Policy webpage at blogs.icrc.org slash lawandpolicy. You can also tune in to our new ICRC podcast, Humanity in War, on how international humanitarian law and policy protects the lives and dignity of people affected by armed conflict and violence. Humanity in War will be available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify.